We are continuing in our study of Paul's letter to the Romans. This morning we are looking at Romans chapter 9, verses 25 to 29. Pardon me if you're visiting. I feel like I should apologize to you. We're dropping you straight in the middle of the deepest theology of the book of Romans. And I will try my best to say, here's what we're talking about. Here's kind of, so bear with me in terms of this. But I can remember a time being so excited when Evie was pregnant with Joel. And yes, it was a long time ago, but I was excited to be a new father. And one of the things I took so seriously was purchasing all the baby equipment, you know, doing all of that. And so I remember the car seat. Now, of course, being mechanically challenged as I am, I had no clue how to put the car seat in properly. But then I was told the car seat is to face backwards for the safety of the child, not frontwards. And I remember he had to put it in there. You don't face front. To be safe, you look backwards. And it kind of reminds me of what's going on here, that Paul, in his exposition of the gospel, what he's doing is he is defending the righteousness and faithfulness of God, that God can be trusted. He's taking the Romans on a journey, and he's doing so by having them face towards the rear, to look backwards at the Old Testament, the story of Israel. Because, and this is true in our lives as well, you can really only understand where you are by looking backward at where you've come from. You understand how you relate by looking at your story and go, what has impacted me? What has affected me? What are my joys? What are my traumas? And this is Paul's method here in Romans 9, 25 to 29, where in, these, in this text he's quoting from four Old Testament passages and alluding to even a fifth. He's telling the church at Rome, and he's telling us, you've got to look back and you've got to see the story of Israel to understand your own story. So friends, hear the word of God from Romans 9, 25 to 29. Paul writes, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully, and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Well, how many of us remember the times before GPS? What did you need to get from point A to point B? A map. Remember those things? I remember taking trips and you needed that AAA triptych to know where. Anybody remember the AAA triptych? Well, I mentioned being mechanically chat. It's a good thing God called me to preach because there's not much else I can do in life. Because not only am I mechanically challenged, I'm also very directionally challenged. Or maybe not so much directionally challenged if I were to pay attention, but I get easily distracted and oblivious, especially when I'm with somebody else who likes to talk as much as I like to talk. 
And so I remember a time when I was taking a class at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, and I was taking it with my good friend Steve Childers. And after class, Steve had to get to the airport, and he asked me for a ride to the airport. And I said, sure, no problem. I have time to do that. And before we went to the airport, we thought we would stop and get some lunch. So we went to this big mall, and did I mention we were in Charlotte? Because here's where that's important. Neither one of us were from Charlotte. So after lunch at this big mall, we go out, and three guesses what we were doing. Non-stop talking. And here we are, both of us like to talk. We're walking through the parking lot talking, and guess what happens? We can't find the car. We're all over the place. This is before the time of key fobs, where you just press a button, listen for the beep beep, and follow that sound. So here we are walking all over the parking lot. Time is getting to be at a premium because, oh, did I mention he has a flight to catch and I'm supposed to be getting him to the airport? And what happens when we can't find the car? He felt lost, confused, disoriented. See, we needed a map. Or, today, we need a GPS. Why? Because you're lost without a map. And you need that map to be trustworthy. See, if you can't trust your map, or today your GPS, you really are lost. If the map is wrong, you are lost, you are in turmoil, you are in chaos, you're like a ship adrift at sea. Here in Romans 9, and here's the context, we're ending and rounding off a section that began at verse 6, where Paul is defending the map. The map that we have is the Word of God. And he began in verse 6 by saying, but it is not as though the Word of God has failed. In other words, he says, you have the most trustworthy GPS system in the world. And we have to remember the context because this governs our reading of the entire portion of this letter. Paul is defending the faithfulness, the righteousness, the trustworthiness of God. So Paul's thesis from the beginning is that God's word has not failed. The map is trustworthy. But, maybe you don't know how to read the map. If you're going to understand it, you need to know how to read the map. You need to know how to read God's Word. You, know how, you need to know how to interpret and read God's story. God's big picture. So what does this text teach us? What do we need in order to understand God's story? In order to understand God's picture? that Paul shows us here in these verses, two things. We need to understand the nature of salvation, and that is that salvation comes through judgment. And secondly, we need to understand the nature of the people of God. Paul's going to introduce a word, a concept. He only introduces it here. He will expand on it much more, especially when we get to chapter 11, and that's the idea of the remnant. Now you won't have all your questions answered in terms of that today because Paul's only introducing that. But Paul is here talking about the nature of salvation and the nature of the people of God. First of all, God's big picture shows us the nature of salvation. 
He says in verse 25, as indeed he says in Hosea. Now he's picking up. This is kind of the middle of a sentence. What did verse 24 say? It says, even as he has called us, in other words, through the gospel, we've come to Christ, even as he's called us from both Jews and Gentiles. So he's introducing Gentiles into this picture. And he says, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. So what's going on here? Paul is quoting. Remember, we're looking backwards in the rearview mirror. Where, to understand where you are, you have to see where you've come from. And he's quoting from two passages from the prophet Hosea. Hosea chapter 2, verse 23, and chapter 1, verse 10 where the prophet is speaking of restoration, this case of the worldwide family of God, following judgment. In the original context, Israel has been, Hosea is speaking about Israel be, being cast away for their unfaithfulness. They've become not my people and not beloved. And historically, this is speaking of the time of the Bible. And so he says, you once were not my people. You once were not beloved. And now applying it to both Jewish people and Gentiles, a diverse, beautiful community, he says, you are going to be my people. You are going to be beloved. You are going to be sons of the living God. Let me try to get practical for us for a second. You know, one of the worst things we can do, and it's done all the time today, especially on social media, is to put labels on people. People are what? Conservative, liberal, fundamentalist, progressive, woke. We hear labels all the time. Remember the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? That is one of the worst sayings and the most untrue sayings of all time. I don't know about you, I heard that growing up a little bit. Words can hurt or words can heal. Words can give life and words can destroy. If we are supposed to be a pro-life people, let's be a pro-life, holistically people. A people who believe what Jesus says in John 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly especially with our words. Can I be practical for a second? Watch our words. Let's display the beauty of the gospel by not using labels to define people. Let's reveal that the gospel is beautiful by the way that we speak. See, the prophets knew all about the power of giving people names. Names reflected what God said about them. Names define a people. So for example, story of Israel. Jacob, the name Jacob meant heel grabber, deceiver, manipulator. Which is why so significantly in Genesis chapter 32, when Jacob is wrestling with this unidentified man at night, who happened to be the Lord because he named the place Peniel. Why? Because he said, I have seen God face to face. And he received the blessing from the Lord. His name was changed 
from Jacob to Israel. No longer was he going to be defined by being a heel grabber, a striver, one who's blessed only by his performance. Now his name was Israel, meaning he strives or wrestles with God. See, names are important. Hosea is indicating from this that there is first judgment, then salvation. And that salvation comes through judgment. Listen to this. They go from being not my people to being my people. What does it mean to be not my people? You're alone. You're lonely. You don't belong to my people. One of the greatest needs people have. If we're going to be missional as a church, what LOPC 2.0 is all about, if we're going to be outward facing, you know, people need to feel that they belong even before they believe. Doesn't mean we put them in church leadership automatically, but they have to have a sense when they walk in the doors or we greet them that they're safe, that they're secure, that they belong before they believe. Paul is giving view here and he's talking about they go from being not my people to my people, from not beloved to beloved. They go from not my people to sons of the living God. He's indicating that the prophets promised that God would make Israel go through judgment to come out into salvation. N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, these two passages from Hosea speak of the restoration Israel can expect after exile. And he says, it will be a strange reversal of judgment in which a new word of grace will be spoken to a new people. The first word is judgment, but grace gets the final word. Friends, again, let me try to be as practical as I can here. That word of grace is powerful. That word of grace is the only thing that will transform us. See, if you are a Christian, if you are trusting in Jesus, then you've been given a new name and a new identity. And that new name and that new identity defines you. It really is who you are. See, you're not the name you were called maybe growing up or maybe what you've heard other people call you or maybe what you call yourself all the time. But you are, listen to the names God has given you. He calls you beloved. He calls us his people. Is that the voice you hear? Do you feel God saying you are a child of the living God? I am well pleased with you. I am proud of you. I don't not only love you, I like you. I delight in you. You are my beloved. You see why it is so wrong to give people labels like fundamentalist, conservative, woke, liberal, progressive, especially if they're Christians. They're with us, part of the people of God. They are beloved. See, God has always been faithful to His Word. The map has always and continues to be trustworthy. But let me give you one more practical word before moving on to the next point. See, what else do we learn from this? How can we apply this to our own lives? Remember I said we have to read the map accurately? Well, I think one of the things to do with that is to practically have some humility. 
before the Word of God. Have some humility as we read Scripture. And what does that look like, practically? Well, the first thing it does is it looks like questioning your certainty. And what do I mean? Not the certainty of the Word of God, but of your understanding of the Word of God. There's a difference between questioning yourself and questioning God. I'm not talking about questioning God. I am talking about questioning yourself. We need to recognize we don't understand God's Word completely or comprehensively. We also need to recognize that we come to any text with all sorts of preconceived notions, assumptions that we have that are based on our background, our upbringing, our history, our church history, our family, our experiences, our culture. Nobody comes to the Word of God neutral or objective. You bring baggage to your interpretation. Do you know what the baggage is called? Yourself. Just to give you one example, we all live in a culture where the air we breathe, just because of where we've been born and where we live, is from philosophically the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment teaches us to trust our own reason. Think we need to let go of that a little bit? To look at everything individualistically. And we can so easily then miss the communal nature of so much of Scripture that God is giving his word to form a community, to form a new humanity, to form a people for himself. That's the first point, the nature of salvation. Next, look with me at verse 27, and the nature of the people of God. And now, Paul is shifting his focus, still looking, you understand where you are by understanding where you've come from. And he quotes from Isaiah, this time Isaiah 10 and Isaiah 1. And he says, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Remember that Paul is finishing off this rather long section that began back in verse 6, where he says, but it is not as though the word of God had failed. For He says, for not all who were descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So now what is Paul doing in quoting Isaiah? What part of God's big picture is he showing us here? Well, in quoting Isaiah 10, Paul is going back to the great promise God made to Abraham. When God entered into a covenant relationship with Abraham, where he said the number of Abraham's children, according to the flesh, would be like grains of sand on the sea. But only a remnant would be saved. For he says in verse 28, for the Lord will carry out his sentence, in other words, judgment, upon the earth fully and without delay. See, here he's alluding to Isaiah 28, and he's bringing it into the picture where Isaiah is stating that for God to make the world right, to put the world to rights, and think about that, that's what we want. We want to feast in the house of Zion. We want there to be no more death or crying or mourning or pain. We want new heavens and new earth. We want thy kingdom to come. But for God to do that, something has to happen first. 
And that is he must make a decisive judgment upon the earth. So then how is this remnant rescued? By going through judgment and coming out on the other side. Isn't that how salvation has come always? Think about Noah and the ark. What did Noah and his family go through? They went through judgment on the earth. God wiping out the earth in a flood. And what happened to Noah and his family? They were a remnant coming out on the other side. Think about in the example that's being used here of the destruction of these two cities of the plain, Sodom and Gomorrah. They are experiencing judgment. And what would have happened if Abraham's family and Lot's family had been left? They would have been lost, and we would have been lost with them since we're children of Abraham. God's first word has to be judgment if the world is going to be put to rights. So think about it, this. How does this remnant emerge? How does this remnant that will be saved from both Jews and Gentiles emerge? Well, let's remember the story. Remember God's big picture. It is all about how to solve the sin problem going back to Adam and Eve in the garden, and even going back to Genesis 1 and how to fulfill God's original creational purpose, that creational purpose of being God's image bearers, reflecting God's glory on the earth. So what did God do to solve the sin problem? He started by forming a people. It was always a people. It was always a community. In that sense, it was always a church. He formed a people from Abraham who would be a light to the nations, who would be the bringers. Remember what he said in Genesis 12? Through you all nations shall be blessed. Only one problem. Israel failed in its mission. Failed in its vocation, and thus Israel itself, who was supposed to be the solution to the problem, became part of the problem itself because it had its own sin problem and deserved judgment. And so now for God to save Israel, he must judge Israel. And God never abandons his plan A. And so what did he do? There needs to be a faithful Israel. A true and faithful Israelite. Who is Jesus the Messiah. He's the true Adam. He's the true Abraham. He's the true Isaac. He's the true Jacob. He's the true Moses. And the judgment of Israel. We read in verse 28, the Lord will carry out His sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. That judgment on Israel, who's the true Israel? Jesus. That judgment, the Lord did carry out His judgment fully, completely, and without delay. And it fell on Jesus at the cross. The judgment we deserve if you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. How is there forgiveness? Because the judgment, Sodom and Gomorrah, fell on Jesus. The judgment upon Israel fell on Jesus. Jesus is the faithful Israelite. He's the representative. He stood in our place. He took the judgment we deserve. And what comes through that? He came out on the other side in the resurrection. And so what does Paul say about us? 
You're no longer called not my people, you're called my people. Why? Because you're united to Jesus Christ. You are no longer called not beloved, you are called beloved because who is ultimately beloved? Jesus. And what is the result? What emerges? A true remnant. True Israel. The true offspring of Abraham. The children of promise. The children of grace. What did we just do to earn, to deserve, to merit any of this? Absolutely nothing. You are blessed by doing nothing. You aren't blessed because you look right, because you appear right, because you put your best foot forward. We put our worst foot forward all the time. As a matter of fact, what does Isaiah say? Our best foot forward, the very best you could bring to God, is filthy rags. Part of having some humility before the Word of God is to recognize we don't understand grace. And unless we understand grace, how are we going to offer grace to others, to a community out there that needs to know that they belong? See, this is the true offspring of Abraham, the children of promise who, completely contrary to expectations. Do you think this is what Israel expected to hear? This is a story that shocks them, but it's completely in line with God's big picture, promised all along, that now includes Gentiles. See, this remnant is the worldwide church, the worldwide community of God. It's a diverse, beautiful family made up of both Jews and Gentiles from every culture, every tribe, every tongue, every language, and every nation. It's interesting. We're going to go to the Lord's table now. And we're going to read from the words of institution in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And one of the interesting things here is that we are told to examine ourselves, but in a particular area to see if we discern the body. Now here's where I think our enlightenment heritage impacts us. We hear discern the body and we're immediately thinking, my relationship with Jesus. That's a part of it, but not the whole of it. Because what else is the body of Christ? The worldwide church and family of God. We are to discern this people who have gone from not my people to my people, from not beloved to beloved, from not my people to sons of the living God. We are to discern a people, a family, a household, a community, a new humanity belonging to God, a family that has become God's beloved through Jesus, the true and faithful Israelite, receiving the judgment that we deserve so that we come out on the other side. Let's pray.